Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We believe well-designed employee benefit program enhance people's lives. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, the sun is shining. We've had a great day so far. It keeps getting better. What do you say? Well, it does keep getting better because two things I like talking about are beer and food. And we talked about beer earlier today, and now we're going to talk about food. So I'm looking forward to it. I tell you, it doesn't get much better than that. Beer, food, and sunshine. Hey, what more can you ask for? So let's let's get into it. Our guest today is Nick Spina, founder and CEO of LiveFit Foods, which is a leading fully cooked meal service based in London, Ontario. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. And I got to give a special shout out to our buddy, uh, Mark LaFleur for over at True Local for putting us in touch. And, you know, it, it's funny when you when you start talking to people like Mark and like yourself, good people just seem to know other good people. So 100%. again, Mark, thanks. I uh, really, really appreciate it. So Nick, the last time we spoke, we had a really good conversation. And I realized that you, me and Al actually have a similar start in our entrepreneurial journey in in cutting lawns and it's funny every once in a while I take a drive to Rexdale where I grew up with my wife and I, and I show her all the clients I had so it's great to go back and, and I was I was happy to hear you know you had a similar journey and, and it's funny when you start talking to other entrepreneurs it's always interesting to hear how they started so but the first question I got for you did you have a gas or electric mower I had a gas one. Oh, see <laughs> I would I would have been envious what about you Al Oh, gas. Oh, see, 100%. we had, and this will speak to, you know, my dad's struggles when we first came to the country as a, as a new immigrant and trying to make his way. We had the Sears. And I mean, I think it was the cheapest one you could buy the Sears electric model. And there I would go and I'd have my cord, you know, around, around my shoulder and I'd be plugging <laughs> it in and the poor, but you know what? The poor kid had a work ethic and uh, I made some money. So it was good. But Nick, you were ahead of me, though. You were doing four seasons. You took on snow shoveling as well. So you're much more of a go-getter than me. <laughs> you know what? My, my first experience branding was when I was, I think, nine years old. And, and we had called ourselves the Snow Kids. And we would go door to door. And we would say, hey, you know, we'll shovel your driveway for whatever price you think is fair. And, you know, we were, we were a couple of cute kids. And you would get some people who would give you a tuning. You know, you get that and, and we did whatever. And, and the, but other people give us like 30 bucks, you know, a driveway. So, you know, at the, and at the end of the day, I think we would pull together maybe a couple hundred bucks between us and we would go and buy chocolate bars and candy or whatever with that money. But it was, uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, looking back, it was never about the money. It was just, we were doing something fun and people were paying for it. And, and, and that was the thrilling part of it. Well, exactly. So, so take us back. How, how old were you when you started doing that? I was like nine, I think it was nine years old. 
I think I was around the, around the same, you know, 10 and maybe 10, 11, maybe I was old enough where my parents weren't going to worry about me, you know, going off down the street and cutting someone's lawn. So now when you go back and cause I, I, I do take that drive once in a while when I'm in the area and I drive through Rexdale and I think back and it's kind of neat to do, but thinking back to those and you're a young kid, so maybe, maybe you don't know at this point, but I love asking these questions of entrepreneurs. Do you think you knew then that, you wanted to do your own thing and go this entrepreneurial route? I don't know if I necessarily knew it top of mind, but subconsciously I did. I would come up with so many ideas, even as a kid and, and be like, Oh, like, this is cool. I want to try this maybe one day. And it's definitely an interesting question because I think, I think so. So Nick, in our conversation previously, I remember, and it was very interesting to hear you talk about as a very young 20 year old, you got into bartending and, and very quickly you moved into become a manager. So talk a little bit about some of the challenges that, you know, here you are young twenties and, and you're in charge of a bunch of people that are probably a lot older than you. How'd you get respect? How did you deal with that? So I worked there for a little bit before, you know, I, I gained respect between uh, mostly everybody, but I don't think people thought that I was going to be the person to get that position within the company. Quite frankly, even looking back at it, when it was announced to the whole staff, I think it was probably one of the most awkward moments of my life where, you know, they said, Hey, you know, Nick Spina is going to be the general manager. And there's, you know, everyone kind of stayed quiet. And I was like, I got looked in the crowd and said, what, is nobody happy for me here? <laughs> but you know what? It was a phenomenal experience. It's funny because at the time you might go through, what you think might be a negative experience in your life, but really it's, that was kind of a spark for me to, you know, prove myself and to prove people that, you know, I was capable of running a business like that at the age that I was at. And uh, at the point that I took it over to the, the bar wasn't in a good point in its, in its life. It, you know, it was very slow. It didn't really have a good reputation and we did some cleanup and we, when we flipped the place and we got it, we got it super packed again. And, you know, there's lineups down the street and that kind of just gave me uh, the energy to say that just when you think things are really bad, it's possible to kind of dig yourself out of situations and to, and to uh, get back on the good side of things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Adversity is a great thing. And I know, I know Rob wants to talk to you a little bit about adversity, but it's one of those things when you get a challenge and, and you're faced with some obstacles, you can make the decision to face it head on and try and get, get through it or give up and uh, pack it in and, you know, let someone else take over. But I know you've got a great story that we'll get into a little bit later about some of the adversity that you faced uh, in your life. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that too. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great segue into into what I wanted to talk about because last time we were chatting and, and you you shared with us some adversities that you faced in your life. And I, and I was hoping you'd share with us here. But you know, to Al's point, it's one of the reasons why I enjoyed training in the martial arts for so many years and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu in, in particular, because you had to face adversity every single time you stepped on the mats. And what I've always liked is the mats, when you when you step into we wouldn't call it a dojo in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but people might recognize that from the martial arts arts lingo when you stepped on the mats it was a level playing field it did not matter if you were a lawyer a doctor a garbage at every single walk of life you were facing those same challenges on the mat and in a very friendly way and if you train in martial arts you'll understand what i mean by this in a very friendly way we were trying to strangle each other and, and tear each other's arms off and then when it was over, you were friends again. But facing those challenges every day, I think is incredibly important in terms of building character and, and realizing that there has to be consistency because if you hit a brick wall and you just walk away from it, there's no growth there. So Nick, perhaps you could share one of your personal stories um, because I think it will be very impactful for our listeners about some of the challenges that you've had in your life. 
For sure. You know, I think we'll rewind it uh, a little bit. You know, when I was 16, 17, I was really young. I, I was really focused. You know, at the time, 16, 17, I don't think anybody really knows what you want to do in life. But I definitely knew that I was very passionate about competitive wrestling at the time. And I happened to be, you know, really good at it. But before I figured I was really good at it and got involved with some Olympic coaches and I wanted to get into the Olympics and was training with them four hours a day, five days a week. But my first wrestling match, I think there was 300 people in the crowd watching. And, you know, I went in there, I was quite frankly nervous or, you know, I, I'd probably say scared. I was scared. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, the other guy definitely knew what he was doing. He mopped the floor with me and uh, it was, you know, super embarrassing. But going into that, I was, you know, all the symptoms of, of fear was, you know, sweaty palms, you know, I was super nervous, you know, my stomach was upset, I was really thirsty. I was like, Oh, man, like, I just want to get out of here. I don't want to do this. And you know, you kind of feel like you're about to die or something. Then I went in there, I lost. And afterwards, I said, you know what, that wasn't that bad. I could have tried a little bit harder and trained a little bit harder for this. And then after that match, I had probably lost one more match and I became the best in, in Ontario that year. What taught me at that point was you might have these symptoms of fear or, you know, I can apply that scenario into business of, you know, being scared to start your own business. But the thing is, is that if I had never made that jump, I would have never, you know, gotten those medals as I did in wrestling. So, you know, that was a fantastic learning experience in my life to jump just two feet into whatever you're passionate about. Do it if you win or lose. It's going to teach you something very valuable either way. And it's going to take you forward in life and give you that experience that you would have never had if you hadn't taken that leap. I think something too, looking back at any hard time I've ever had in my life, that's the time when I've learned the most. I probably learned 10 times the most about anything, whatever I'm going through. You can, you just become that much uh, more experienced going forward. Something that I touched on it with you guys a little bit before, but, and something I don't quite frankly share with people and I've never really shared publicly probably until this point really but I was in a, uh, an accident where when I was 18, when my, you know, my wrestling dreams kind of fell through my hands was uh, I got an accident and I ended up uh, breaking seven places in my face and my nose is broken. My, my cheekbone was broken completely. Actually, it was, it was broken in all spots connecting to uh, my face. My teeth were chapped. I had scars all over, you know, the place and it was not fun times. So I was knocked unconscious for a long time. I woke up in the hospital and, and my parents were at the foot of my bed and I'd never seen my mom in a state like that at any point in my life. And it took her a while to recover from that actually. And a little bit more story, but on, on the injury side, I, I actually had problems uh, seeing out of my left eye for about a year. And I, I, I was at a point where I received some pretty heavy brain damage where I, I had some memory loss. I had trouble speaking. I had trouble even remembering it, quite frankly, when I'm in, in the middle of a conversation, I would forget what I was talking about halfway through the conversation. And it is uh, extremely scary, uh, not knowing if that's ever going to come back or not. So uh, at that point in my life, you know, you go through the symptoms of that accident and your situation. And uh, the reality is, is that, you know, my, my memory may never come back. I may never be able to see it in my left eye properly, but Hell, if I do ever get it back, I'm going to dedicate 100% of my time towards reaching my goals. And I'm never going to forget that. About a year later, I did recover fully. I still have some symptoms today, but uh, it, it is not by any means holding me back from anything. And I stay up probably until four in the morning, three or four in the morning every night and dedicate myself towards hitting my goals. So uh, 
that really built the foundation of one of my motivators, I guess you'd say, and that it's possible to, I don't want to say overcome anything, but you can overcome a lot if you just never give up. That's an amazing story on so many fronts, right? Like you started with your wrestling days and I'll just, I'll just comment on that. And I don't know, Nick, if you felt the same way, but you know, it didn't matter what belt I got in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, I started at the white belt and the four stripes and the blue belt and four stripes and purple belt and four stripes. And I, I never got over those nerves. Every time we slapped hands and bumped fists and I was going to roll with someone that first roll, even though these were my buddies, we were, I knew these people and, you know, you related that to business and what it did for you in business. And I'm not sure that you ever get over that in business too. There are still times out, you know, and are going through it sometimes as, as we're growing now, it's like, oh, do we, do we take that next step? And you still have that. There's a little bit of being unsure, but to your point, you just persevere and move on. And then when you talked about your accident, why I wanted you to tell that story is, you know, not only do we have successful people who are in business, they've been in business a long time and they're, and they're doing very well. But we, I know we have a portion of our audience who are young, aspiring entrepreneurs. And I think it's so important to hear these stories and yours is going to be very impactful in my mind, because that is a significant wall that went up in your life and you didn't give up, right? You said, okay, here's where I am. I'm going to get through this. And if I, if I get to this point, boy, I'm going to really make a difference and really commit to my goals. And so I think that's such an inspiring story. And I know people are going to get value out of hearing that. I hope people can. And, you know, I, I would wish uh, that upon nobody, but you know, it's, it's a part of my story and uh, I hope it can add value. Going back to those, uh, I guess you would call them dark days of that year of recovery. You know, I also uh, was having an extremely hard time in school. It's kind of interesting because we're in these situations. Some people might perceive it that you're just, well, like I had teachers telling me, my parents that I was going to, I literally had a teacher call my mom and was like, yeah, your son's not going to amount to anything in life if he keeps this up. She thought I was just being lazy. I couldn't physically read. And you kind of like, you go through the motions of understanding how people kind of truly are you know, the world isn't this fluffy, you know, lovey-dovey place. It can be extremely harsh and that's the reality of it. But, you know, it's kind of went through this period of going through these harsh motions and, and, you know, I guess added some battle scars on me. And I think you have to be tough to be in business. You have to be able to deal with those days of, you know, where things don't go your way. But I think the moral of the story is you only lose when you give up. And if you just never give up and you keep pushing forward, all you can do is win. As long as you have more wins than your losses, you're going to be pretty good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you shared that story with us because uh, when we first talked, it was very inspirational and uh, I was really, really impressed. And one of the big reasons that we wanted to hear from you on the podcast was your background and then how you've turned that around. So let's talk about how you've turned that around. Tell us a little bit about Live Fit Foods. Tell us about the company, what it does, and, and what was your inspiration for the company? Sure. I think for me to paint a picture of the whole story, I'll rewind it a little bit. Going back until right after bartending, I was managing the venue of that fit about 700 people every night. Again, fantastic experience. From there, I kind of graduated and was promoted up within to helping manage the uh, the hospitality group with locations all over Canada. There's about 400 staff, hotels, restaurants, you know, venues, you name it. Absolutely phenomenal experience. I think it's 21 or 22 at the time. And that was great. But, you know, in the middle of all this, I always wanted to run my own business. I had some small entrepreneurial experiences growing up and whatnot, but it was never really a a true business. So I had the opportunity to come up to open up my own venue. And that's exactly what I did. So I went off, I opened up my own venue. I think I had 
$40,000 or something saved up. We went in there and we had a month at a location in, uh, in London here to renovate this place and to make a deal happen with the landlord. And uh, yeah, we had 40 grand. I think at the opening night, the walls were still wet with paint. I had found the cheapest things at garage sales and whatever, speakers, you name it, to get the place running. But opening night, you know, I was, again, super nervous. You get that feeling in your stomach. You're a little scared. But if people don't show up, you just go do it. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, eight o'clock rolls around and uh, opening was at like nine or something like that. And we had two people come across the parking lot and I thought, Hey, are those people walking through the parking lot? Or are they coming in? And uh, they lined up and I said, Holy crap, you know, guys, look at this. There's people here. And then, you know, 10 minutes rolls by, there's about a thousand people in the parking lot and another 10 minutes rolls by and there's about 3000 people in the parking lot. And I thought, Hey, there's people here now. What the hell do we do with them? <laughs> so you know, we, we, we got them inside. We turned on our two speakers that we got at garage sales and then everyone had a blast. And, and you know, that was my first real experience with, you know, running a, a business of that size with minimal cash. And if it worked out or not, I would have been proud of myself either way for just taking that jump. And it's uh, self-rewarding. But in the middle of all the chaos of running that business, I had eating healthy is always a priority of mine. And I was actually eating at a local restaurant twice a day, salmon, rice, and broccoli. I'll never forget that. And I probably didn't eat salmon for a year after that. But I went in to get the last salmon uh, takeout meal, which, by the way, cost like $30 a dish, which is super expensive and inconvenient to having to go pick it up. And uh, the staff there was like, oh, Nick, what are you getting? Salmon, rice, and broccoli again? <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, I need to find another solution here. And that's kind of the light bulb moment went off. And I thought, hey, you know, there's probably people out there who would like, you know, to have their meals cooked for them by a chef, you know, and I thought, hey, well, what if people ordered, you know, 12 meals at a time or 15 meals at a time, you could probably, you know, have some volume discounts there and you can make it probably pretty affordable for people. I called my friend who's a chef at a local restaurant and he said, Nick, you know, I'll come on board right now. As employee number one, I love that idea so much. That's what happened. And uh, a week later, I called my friend up, going to a local restaurant in town. The arrangement we had with him is that we could rent it out on Sundays when he wasn't using it. and But we had to get out of there before his dinner service. So I think we had till 5 p.m. or so to uh, be able to, to cook the food. But we, we needed much more time than that. So Matt and I had discussed, Chef Matthew and I discussed that we need to meet at the restaurant at one in the morning. And that's exactly what we did. So, you know, Chef Matthew, uh, I, I didn't know if he was, if you asked somebody to, hey, you come work with me overnight from one in the morning until 5 p.m. the next day or whatever, probably not going to get many people wanting to do that. But, you know, Chef Matthew, he showed up with a bucket full of pots and pans and behind this restaurant in an alleyway, the one in the morning, not the most appealing scene. And we worked in there. We had a great time doing it. It was, it was obviously very long, but and we talked about what the potential was for the uh, the business. And from there on out, I don't think him and I slept for, you know, on a Sunday for probably a year and a half. It probably took a couple of years off our lives, but it's very worth it. And we weren't making any money, you know, for the first little bit, obviously, from starting a new business. But it didn't matter. We were making the magic happen. So, yeah, fast forward a little bit. We actually went and rented out three of our friends' restaurant kitchens. We were cooking in there. I was packing my car with ingredients and delivering it between the places. I was actually getting Cisco to deliver skids of food to residential addresses and we'd pick it up, deliver it to the restaurants. <laughs> just because quite frankly, we would just fill these restaurants up full of materials and ingredients because we were just growing so quickly. So it was, it was really funny just the, you know, 
the little things that you need, we needed to do to, you know, to push the company forward and, you know, getting truckloads of ice packs delivered. And, you know, we had spent eight or 10 hours and I call my friends up and we'd hand bomb ice packs into restaurants that, like I said, it would take all day. And again, without that vision and without that uh, motivation that we had, that the future, uh, it could be very bright and quite frankly, dreaming without that, you know, I don't think anybody would ever show up for that. Who would want to go haul ice packs out of a truck for 10 hours a day on a minimum wage, right? But uh, we made the magic happen and we made the business grow and we doubled sales year over year and we hired friends and we just kept going. And once you feel like something's working, you double down on it, you keep going. So, you know, fast forward to today, when we started the business a bit over five years ago, now, today, we have a massive location here in London, Ontario. We've got about 30,000 square feet. We've got the state-of-the-art uh, production facility that can produce over $100 million worth of revenue. And uh, we've got about 200 staff. And I've got the same mentality, the same with the team of, you know, th- this is, we're not even close to being done yet. So that's, we just got to, you just got to keep going forward. That's a great story. And I love it. I love hearing it the second time as much as I did the first time, because it really does show uh, your determination and how you've overcome the obstacles that you did. And quite honestly, it's, it's quite inspirational. I love the story. And, and that was my question. I mean, you go from two employees and, and I was thinking back, I mean, imagine putting that on a job de- description. Okay. We're going to show up in the o'clock, middle of the night, one in the morning. Like no one, no we're one work till five the next day. <laughs> and by I the way, it, we're not going to make any money for the first little while. No one would answer that call. But I do want to ask you, you go from two employees to over 200 now, and you've got this massive workforce as the leader of the organization. I'm sure Nick, that you have a vision and you have certain guiding principles that a culture that you want to cultivate as you're growing and, and adding all these people, how do you maintain that so that that culture supports your ongoing objectives? Yeah, I'm the only shareholder. The thing is, is that this isn't just my dream, right? Like this is everyone's dream. This is, we're, we're all working together. This is all of our business and we're pushing it forward. And you might be in the food business, making meals and delivering to people, but really we're in the people business. And that's something that's uh, really key to the culture of what we've kind of fostered is that, you know, I, I want people to come and never feel like it's a day of work there, even though, yes, it is definitely a day of work, but how can you come and have a good time and feel like you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself? What I like to say is we're at the ground roots of something, you know, we frequently say the Amazon of food and people feel it. I feel it. I don't think any of us would ever show up. And like I said, haul ice packs for 10 hours a day and hurt our backs. And if we never thought and felt that. So I think, you know, so important to be honest, to be real with everybody on the team, treat everyone like we're similar. I might be the CEO and only shareholder of the business. I will never treat anybody like I'm bigger than them. And everybody's on the same level in the business and everyone can feel that. And that's what I think makes a a good true team and makes everyone feel good, quite frankly. You know, I don't want to walk in there in the facility and get no one waving at me because they're intimidated or whatnot. And quite frankly, when I go in there, everyone walks up and says, hey, and just everyone talks to each other. There isn't people in the business that is not friendly. And you know, if we ever see that, they wouldn't have a place there. But your culture is so key to your organization's glue to hold everything together as you, as you scale things up. The title, as you know, of, of this series that we do on Starting With One is Success Leaves Clues. And And I think I would hazard a guess that anyone listening to this when it airs in our audience, and and a lot of our audience are entrepreneurs. um, So I know your story is going to resonate with them. But to me, and and Al, I'll get you to comment on this as well. 
there's a reason why you're successful, Nick. You hear it in your story and you can hear it and how passionate you are. And when you talk about your business, you talk about your employees. And I think some of the things that happened in your life early on, you know, you've chatted about here, it really speaks to your passion, your character. And again, you are a person that I can tell would be easy to follow. You know, I think you demonstrate those leadership skills and, and you and you walk your talk. And, and Al, uh, you've listened to the same story I have today and maybe just add some commentary. Well, I think from listening to your story, Nick, some of those things that happened to you probably put things into perspective. Like I, I'm going to bet that some of those problems that you encounter every day in, in your business probably seem pretty easy compared to what you yeah. had, to, had to go through when you were, you know, had your accident and everything. Right. So, uh, you know, I think totally. that probably, probably puts it into perspective and just say, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've had tougher times. You know, I think a really good way to look at it is you're exactly pretty much spot on is, is that as a team getting the situations that are uncomfortable, but it will be nothing compared to, you know, what I went through when I was 18 there, you know? So I, I think emotionally, and people who look at business and think, hey, you know, it's not emotional. Of course, it's emotional. You're getting hit with a, a baseball bat some days and you got to say, hey, well, I've been hit with a bus. So that wasn't that bad. Right. So I think everybody goes through adversity in life to some extent. And like I said before, I never wish that someone would go through what I did. But in some sense, I do, because it will teach you a whole hell of a lot and it will make things in life a little bit easier because that scale of hard times, even if I lost everything today, it would be nothing close to the feeling that I had back then. So that's something I'm willing to lose it all to be able to achieve our goals as a group. And not that I would ever make a risky move or anything like that for the company, but I think that's just a kind of a motto to go by is don't be scared to take chances. I would feel more sick if I never did. I'd rather be hit with a baseball bat time to time, but not to get too deep here. But quite frankly, if you're on your deathbed or come close to that and you look back and you said, hey, I never tried anything. I would rather try and fail than never try at all. Yeah. Right. How do, how do you want your story to be written? Exactly. Right. And I think you just got to take those leaps. And quite frankly, if it, if it doesn't work out, you're going to be proud of yourself for even trying. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. So, Nick, just to wrap up, what's next for Lipid Foods? Expansion. Big nice. expansion. So that's the next thing. Yeah, expanding into the US. Uh, we're looking at other markets around the world as well. But, you know, we want to grow steadily and make sure where we do grow, we have great success in. So we're going to be looking at the United States and going there very shortly. And also looking to adding more products uh, to our lineup. That's confidential. And you have to stay tuned on our website to be able to see what products come out. But it's exciting times. You know, the team's really excited about it. And, you know, it's just another step in the journey. I feel like we got a scoop today. I think we did. You heard it, you heard it here. That was not a, a uh, you know, go to my website and look, look at it. But, you know, you'll see soon enough. We're going to get into some pretty uh, interesting product lineups that uh, is very complimentary to what we're currently doing with our, with our fresh, healthy meals. Nice. All right. Well, very cool. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your inspirational story. I, I think people are going to get a lot out of it. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have any questions about yourself or what you're doing at LiveFit Foods? I would say probably LinkedIn is the best way. Okay. I would say LinkedIn for sure. You know, if anybody has any questions about anything, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Perfect. Okay. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, folks. And remember, it all starts with one.